Hello and welcome back to Absurdity. My name is Ryan Becker and I am joined by my my steadfast, ever so dependable rock of a friend, Henry Johnson. <laughs> that's it. That that's your intro today. That's that was thick. That was You were you were you were like, is there more? Are you gonna you take me to dinner first, maybe? I don't know. Um, I mean no But also just, compliment you with eighties eighties level uh <laughs> friendship descriptions. Uh, I, yeah, the bromance is real. No, I mean I guess eighties descriptors are you're almost back in style. Like I've been noticing all of these commercials on TV and everything else. They're trying to bring the nineties back real hard. Like everybody the, the is flare really jeans, the, 90s thing. the yes. tie-dye is coming back, the acid uh, wash is, is next. It's I, coming. I'm like, mercy. Uh, so, you know, we're getting closer to the 80s, uh, but at least our topic today deals with something that's dated back even to the 80s, you know, Afghanistan. Absolutely. Fall so, of empires. <laughs> Graveyard yeah, of empires. Yeah. This one was kind of a no-brainer that we would talk about. And um, before I do, if you're new here, Absurdity is a show where we talk about uh, absurd things, all things absurd in religion, culture, and society. And I genuinely believe that when we start from the place that everything is absurd, we can have better conversations because when you're willing to admit the absurdities in your own position, that humility opens you up to a lot more uh, in-depth and, and a lot more life-giving conversations, I think. And so uh, that's where we are here. Um, and we're, I, I don't want to say excited to talk about this, but this is something that, if you're an American for sure, I don't, I don't know how you don't have any opinion at all on this unless you were born in 2001 and your parents, neither of your, you know, you weren't in a military but, family. But you should still have some opinion because you it's probably have some opinion. Lifetime. Yeah, you know? it's just that the, what I mean is like, there are people that were born in, in 2001 that really don't have any interest in, in 9-11, for example, or don't have any real strong opinion on it. And I believe that there should be because all of this, a lot of this can, can be found in our response to that as well. But I, I just, yeah, I don't know how you're an American and don't have strong opinions about this one way or the other. Um, and it's, it, it's interesting to see how we've kind of shifted too, because for, this was kind of like the one bipartisan thing that, that existed, which was everyone wanted us out of Afghanistan. And now I, I would like to argue that it's it's still bipartisan because now I would agree. everybody yeah. doesn't like how it's going down. And Correct. Everyone is blaming everybody, so it's still bipartisan. Yep. And this is this is this is like the this is the biggest evidence or biggest proof of how you do things matters. Like it's not just what you do, but it's how you do it, and the means do not always justify the ends. Um, I just think that this is the embodiment of of that idea. Maybe, what I yeah. So, well, I are, are the decisions even made early in life or or long before we are still impacted by the decisions that we make sometimes. And, and this isn't just militarily or as nations. This is true as people. You can make a decision that impacts you years later, and you had no clue it was going to turn out that way. I was going to move you that way are going to impact you. I mean, all, all it argues, I mean, I'm getting ahead of the story. We can make this moral as a personal application, right? Choices matter. And so mm -hmm. we need to learn to make wise choices and be adaptable to continue to make wise choices with new information or anything else, because the choices that you make today will eventually make you. 
Yes. Right. I mean, now and, I'm starting to get into character talk and, and whatever, but I mean, choices make you. <laughs> yeah. And there's, I, I do think that this, that, that is something we're going to get into quite a bit, but I think uh, it is worth at least a little bit of background. Not an, I mean, it can take you about 30 seconds on Google to figure out what in the world is going on. Um, but I think some, a little bit of background on just how significant it is that the Taliban have, have overtaken Afghanistan. And the short of it, this is the U.S. They is were in finally, power when we went in. Yep. They were in power when we went in. We destabilized in them when between we go <laughs> 2001 and, and, or between September 2001. I think we, we first went in in October of 2001. And then we had successfully removed them from power by, by the end of December. And for an idea of who the Taliban are, a, a extremist uh, religious political movement and group, um, during their rule from 1996 to 2001, the Taliban and their allies committed massacres against Afghan civilians, denied UN's, UN food supplies to 160,000 starving civilians, and conducted a policy of scorched earth burning vast areas of fertile land and destroying tens of thousands of homes. While the Taliban controlled Afghanistan, they banned activities and media, including paintings, photography, and movies that depicted people or other living things. And according to the United Nations, the Taliban and their allies were responsible for 76% of Afghan civilian casualties in 2010 and 80% in 2011 and 2012. So that's just when they don't have power. Like that's when the U.S. was occupying and they were still responsible for that many. Um, well, they're fighting an insurgency. Yeah. Yes. Um, but this, th this is a group that right now they've been going, they've been saying that if, you're, if you are an Afghan citizen or civilian, you have nothing to worry about, you know, we're, we're not going to hurt you, whatever. But then they're also going door to door and taking everyone's guns and any sort of means that they have to defend themselves. And it's, it's been interesting to watch the response to, I remember seeing a picture or a video, it was a video of, uh, I just couldn't watch it at the time, the, of a woman leading a protest against the Taliban near the, near the Kabul airport. And the, all the comments were just like, she's going to die. And it is. Yeah. For those who won't figure it out on Google really quick, their treatment of women leaves a lot to be desired. Yep. That was, that was me not. Part and desired part, all of it's gone. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And like, I was just touching on like the barely the tip of the iceberg, uh, as far as what they have actually done and the damage that they ha they have done, especially to women. It's not a great club you'd want to be a part of or have run your government. And that's what they're now doing again. Yep. And what did it take them like a week, <laughs> two weeks? Um, it didn't take yeah. very much for them to get all of Afghanistan back under their control. With the it's exception like a of the week airport campaign, yeah, um, it's interesting too because if you look up the Afghan war um, on, or, or yeah, on the on Wikipedia, there was a line. Uh, it's not the it, it was the Taliban. That's what it was. So I looked up the Taliban on Wikipedia just for just for kicks here, and the oh they'll kick, oh they will. Um, <laughs> There was this there was this line in here, and I'm trying to find it again. I'm not gonna like hunt it, hunt it down. Basically, it said that the leader regained support in two thousand in uh, two thousand one, shortly after they had been taken from power, and to to continue 
to support the Taliban. And then it just says, so in, in, in early 2002, the Taliban re- reformed and, and regrouped. And then in 2021, they regained control of Afghanistan. That was basically the line. Like there was just this giant gap of time completely unaccounted for. We just jumped from they regained support in 2001 and then retook Afghanistan in 2021. Yeah. What it, I mean, that, I think the hardest pill to swallow in all of this, especially for someone in my position who is very, very strongly in favor of uh, things like universal health care, and I am growing more and more in favor of universal basic income, the, the, I, the idea that we spent 20 years there and spent trillions of dollars on a campaign that was undone in two weeks just absolutely is, is just absolutely repulsive to me. And the other side of what's repulsive to me is is just myself in in seeing the articles of like and all the news of this coming out, watching even the videos of people climbing on, you know, trying to climb onto planes as they're taking off and falling out of the wheel wells. And because uh, civilians in Kabul were, were rushing to try and get out before their offensive took over the city and thinking like, okay. And then going back to my day, like it was normal going out to play tennis or going out, you know, just going to work yeah. or meeting with a family or whatever, you know, whatever was next is just the, the incredible amount of disassociation that I actually have and can easily have from all of this as far as just how it, it just got me a little bit and it's, and it really frustrates me that honestly, what got me more was my lack of reaction to it than the actual thing happening at first. But that shows, I mean, just how much and how quickly I think we, we detach ourselves or disassociate from, from things happening outside of our backyard. Um, well, and it also is something to be said about wars that the majority of the population are not impacted by. There is a blessing and a curse to an all-professional military. Yep. And, and don't get me wrong. We, I mean, there's a reason the United States still has the best military in the world. These are people that are well-trained. They stay. They want to be there. There's reasons that you know they're in. It, it beats a conscript force any day of the week mm-hmm. uh, in that sense. But what happens is, is when you look historically over time, a higher and higher percentage of Americans actually then have nothing they have to do, suffer, contribute, think about for the wars that we engage in. And I think one of the things that's most interesting about Afghanistan is that we could literally go 20 years and the majority of people, if they weren't reading news, right, they would not even be aware that we're even there, right? Some people, there's probably, I'm sure there were people that heard all this news story about we're evacuating Kabul. And they're like, wait, where's Kabul? And we were there. And then if someone's Mm -hmm. like, yeah, for 20 years, 20 years, what were we doing there for 20? Because it doesn't impact us, right? Unless you know someone in the armed forces or or somehow directly involved in policymaking or an NGO, which means non-governmental organization or the UN or something that, would be involved with it or know someone from Afghanistan mm-hmm. or, you know, like that. It was highly possible to have a 20 year war, America's largest or largest, longest rather military campaign in its history, 20 years and fighting one continual thing. 
And you could mostly be unaware of it because like 1% of the population is involved in fighting this war or was involved in fighting this war and 99% weren't. And I think that speaks to, I mean, getting ahead of ourselves, that could be even part of the problem about why it could go the way it does is that when your public isn't involved, when they're not taking ownership, then who does take ownership and then who is calling the shots, no pun intended, right? And why do you stay there that long? And I, th- I, I think that's one of the drawbacks is it, and, and you almost could say now getting kind of, you know, what's the word I'm looking for? Oh, philosophical. Thank you. Philosophical about You're it. You're welcome. I, mean, I, I helped a lot getting, there. I uh, really did. Telepathic, telepathically, it was a big help. But, you know, <laughs> when you're, you're getting... When you're getting philosophical about it, the idea that even when we're moving into drone and mechanized warfare, in a, in a, I mean, we've had mechanized mm-hmm. warfare, obviously, since even the tail end of the First World War, but th- this idea that we're getting more and more and more and more distant and disconnected from the realities of war, and don't get me wrong, I, war, it doesn't matter what era, what technology, and what century, and, and I mean this with all due respect, war is hell. There is no way to, min- I mean, there's no way around that. And I know we live in a world, especially in the 21st century, where everything's like, how do we mitigate casualties and how do we mitigate war? And, I, and I'm not like a fan of like, just fight scorched earth policy and, and, and be done. But at the same time, there's n- the whole, it's an oxymoron, the idea of war, no casualty, no pain, no suffering, yeah. no whatever. That's going to happen. But the more you remove yourself from that reality, I think the more detached we get from, well, obviously reality from what this what this causes, what needs to be done about it. I mean, when you reach an age where, and I know a guy that was is a drone operator, so the Reaper and Predator drones that go around, like his day job is literally flying drones for the U.S. military, and he literally sits in a trailer in the middle of a desert that is, mm. you know, ten like thousands of miles away from wherever he's operating this actual drone, and he sits in an air-conditioned trailer drinks his coffee, whatever it is he wants to do, holds a joystick and stares at a computer for eight hours, and then, you know, gets up, sets his headphones down, leaves the joystick and computer. The next person takes a seat. He walks out of said trailer, gets in his car, and can go to Chick-fil-A. Mm-hmm. Right. I, I, I mean, there's no, it's almost like a video game. And, I, and so my point is, whether that's good or bad or, or, or whatnot, again, the less involvement we have as a society, I think, probably is one of the things that contributed to how bad this is ending. Is yes. It just was not a lot of investment. I mean, the, the initial investment, because you and I were both alive 9-11, and I believe old enough to to remember it to a better yes. extent than someone obviously yes. born. And I can remember originally that was under the George W. Bush administration. And, you know, the axis of evil, right? And this kind of thing. And we were going in to, to Afghanistan, and then a couple of short years later, it was Iraq. But Right. And we were going, and I remember the wave of everybody cared at that point because let's go get him. Let's get Osama. Right. And so Osama bin Laden, let's go get him and let's do this and let's do that. Right. And, and we were invested in the initial point and the video cameras were showing missiles raining in on Kabul and, mm. and we got it and whatever. And then what more did I have to be involved in this story? Yeah. I mean, I know people that are there. I had classmates that went into the army at that time after 9 11 and got deployed. To Afghanistan. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I'm of that generation. I, I remember that happening. I know people like that. I work with people that have deployed several tours of duty in, in Afghanistan. So, but if you're not connected in that way, then what impact did this have? And it probably, I guarantee it's not the impact that it needs to have, 
even yeah. in conversations like this. So no, it 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 is. I I would dare say though that almost everyone probably has is probably one maximum two people away from you know what what is the six degrees of Kevin Bacon that you're no more than six people away from knowing. I mean, there was at one point in my life where I was three people away from the Jonas Brothers. Uh, I was three degrees away from the Jonas Brothers, which is wild to think about. But then I was that in the mosh pit or in yes. Um, uh, (laughs) but this was a um, this was it it wouldn't surprise me if most people are one or two degrees away from someone directly involved in in deployment in Afghanistan. I mean, one of my one of my best friends for years, his dad served and was deployed pretty much the entirety. We've seen he and I have since faded as friends. I mean, if I run into him somewhere, we'll have great conversations, but you know, there's not the, the, the active friendship anymore, like it used to be. And for the majority, I met him in seventh grade. We were friends all the way pretty much through college. And during that time, I think I saw his dad twice and met him once. Like, like actually, in other words, I saw physically his dad, but I didn't talk to him the the second time, uh, or the first time maybe. And the second time is when I actually met him. And that, that's just, that was just the reality. And he hit, luckily his dad in deployment wasn't in an active battle role. He wasn't in, in combat role. He was, I think he worked in it or something on the system side of things, but he was actively deployed the, you know, with, I mean, there was, there were times where he would, my friend would talk about being on the phone with his dad and hearing. So I would say, I have to go basically and hearing battle around. Like it, it's not like he wasn't you know, near an active or in an active war zone. He just wasn't the one on the front I mean, lines. The whole country was a war zone. Yep. And, and I you will say to be on a fob to be shot at, I will say there's a part of this. I have been no, I, I really haven't been any stranger to, uh, to criticizing Trump on this show in, in, in prior episodes. And, and I can definitely criticize Biden for the, how of, of how he did this, the number of people that were abandoned and, the number of U.S. allies and people who actually helped Afghan civilians who helped the U.S. actively, who are no idea. Um, it's a death sentence. If you if you yep. did anything with the U.S. You're, and you're still there, you, you will die. I'm yep. pretty certain of that. But shout out to that Oklahoma mom that got nine out of nine members of the Afghan uh, women's robot, that, that all-woman robotics team uh, to safety. Um, I haven't fully read that story. I only saw that headline and I want to read more of that, but just shout out to her. Cause that's amazing. Uh, she's a mom of the, 11. Is that, is that the, the mom that was calling Qatar, uh, Qatar, excuse me. I mispronounced it like Qatar or Oman and maybe and convinced yes. them to get him visas and got him. Yes, out, I like think that. so. Yeah. Like she single-handedly is just on the phone all the time. Like, like grabbed a map of the middle East. Like, uh, yeah, basically, um, uh, like the QT, let's try Qatar. Right, you know, yes. and just, <laughs> just get them out. Yes, in Qatar. Yep, it was. You are correct. Now, oh, granted, in Qatar yeah, they face yeah, yeah. other problems, but I will say that those problems but are they not as immediate. Be immediately shot. Yes. Correct. Uh, correct. The, but yeah, shout out to her. Um, but I will say and there went our sponsorship the way he from went Qatar. Out, and you can you can say like, well, Afghan, like this. I think this is the most annoying thing that Biden said. Afghanistan basically folded, and their military didn't do anything. But Biden also. And but well, I'll say Biden's administration. Well, they didn't do nothing. They handed trillion, you know, billions of dollars of U.S. equipment over to the Taliban. Yes, but there was also the side of this of the of Biden's administration banning any contractors from helping, 
So there were aircraft carrier there there were aircrafts like helicopters in that were there, but no mechanics and no contractors that could actually fix them. And there are reports of Afghan military members on Zoom with US experts trying to like walk through fixing and making repairs. Like when all of your resources are are cut off, you can't get you can't do anything with contractors, so you can't get anything into you can't get any supplies in to fix anything or do maintenance. Like it, it, they were doomed from the start when they lost a major portion of being able to do anything with a lot of that. To be fair, and that, that's something to be said with billions of dollars of US military equipment being handed over to the Taliban, the same thing will happen there. The difference being that they'll probably just repurpose them into bombs, which is what happened the first time that, that they were able in in the past where they were able to get a hold of like U.S. tanks or U.S. Humvees. Oh yeah, the the, the sad thing is, is I heard a supply sergeant the other day uh, make a comment, and it's sad, but it's funny. He was like, "Well, don't feel bad. They won't be able to run the airplanes either. You know, they won't yeah. be able to buy the parts on the market because they're proprietary parts that the U.S. was supplying to Afghanistan anyway, and they're not going to get Zoom lessons to know how to operate this exactly. Stuff. So the big heavy equipment like any jets or or helicopters or whatnot that I think we'd left them really jets, but all that stuff, he's like, it will get parted out and they'll sell parts on the market for some, it that become scrap. So, I mean, yes. I don't think the Taliban had an air force when we first went in and I don't think they feel they have that they need one now. So correct. Yeah, no, 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 it's absolutely accurate. And that's why I say like the, the billions of dollars thing of handing it over, isn't that big of a deal when it comes to the Taliban having it other than it becomes a huge source of funding for them. That's where that's well, in my it's mind also, a really, really big deal. Of course, now this bridges into gun violence as well. But let's not forget the millions of firearms that these troops either surrendered or are still sitting in depots somewhere. I'm sure waiting for some Taliban guy to cut the lock off and be like, "What is all this? <laughs> oh, wonderful M16, uh, you know." But <laughs> M4 carbines, whatever. The the thing is, like you said, source of funding. But it's not just funding for the regime. These are where are those guns going to end up? Because yep. they're selling them to somewhere. Correct. So how many nations downstream? How many warlords in mm-hmm. you know other countries, rebel groups in Africa, whatever? How many people, child soldiers, are going to end up with this stuff in their hands and have to fight? And what you know, it's the knock-on effects of great. Now you have hundreds of thousands of other lives potentially lost, or affected, or ruined are dramatically impacted in some way, shape, or form around the globe because all this stuff is just sitting there ready to go, here we go, spread. Globalization, man. Yeah, absolutely. I I, I can agree with that for sure. I think one of the weirdest, weirdest videos that came out of all of this, I I really mean weird. Like, it was just a strange thing to watch. There was a video of, of Taliban soldiers in a U.S. military base gym, like the, like the workout room. And they were just like messing around on the equipment and it was, you know, their first time seeing some of that stuff. And it was just so, so weird, the juxtaposition of everything. Like they were working out, but they were joking because like, haha, we have all this. Like it was just a really surreal thing to see. And it, it was things like that. I think we'll, we'll see a lot more until a lot of that stuff wears out, gets parted out, gets sold, whatever. But it was just a really, really strange experience to see basically U.S. military equipment and, and, and bases being overrun because they've been abandoned. <laughs> and I, some of that stuff will just stick with me. And the, what will definitely stick with me is the, is the videos from the airport of people literally. I mean, I remember seeing 
uh, Mission Impossible in that one scene where Tom Cruise is holding onto the airplane and like he filmed it himself. And I think of all the safety equipment that was still involved in him holding onto the side of an airplane uh, as it, you know, took off. But seeing that in real life of people just desperately trying to do that to get away or seeing the one picture of of someone holding their baby up over a barbed wire, like a wall with barbed wire over it the, and trying, trying to hand to it, it to, to a soldier. To, to the it. soldier, yeah. Uh, I just, man, some of this stuff is is really haunting and it's amazing that I really had to sit down and I'm so good at compartmentalizing things that I had to really sit down and force myself to just sit in that for a bit for it to weigh on me like i it's really easy to see that stuff in passing at this point with how how much of the news i do take in on a regular basis and just kind of move on with my day but i really you sometimes you just have to let yourself sit and understand the reality of what's going on and even then i i fully acknowledge that i don't understand the full picture of what's really going on yeah, and th- and this would be a good point to bring up and shout out to any who might be listening. And this is the chaplain, and maybe wants to say this. There are there is an entire generation of individuals in this country that you might pass every day, and you have no clue that you know if you're that impacted by watching the coverage and whatnot, you did not give up eight, four, eight, sixteen, twenty years of your best years, some might call it, your life, deployed as members of the armed forces in Afghanistan, working with these people, boots on the ground in this country, mm-hmm. knowing these locations, using that gym equipment you might have referenced, whatnot, having picked up the pieces of their comrades in arms, their brothers and sisters in arms as medics, as, as maintenance craft, as aircraft workers, as whatever, Um, There's an entire generation of soldiers right now that I think are being re-traumatized and they kind of, it's gotten a little better over the last decade, but I still think needs a lot of work. This whole generation of PTSD sufferers, post-traumatic stress disorder, those that have never really quite adjusted to society, you know, one of the few things keeping them going was the idea that, well, maybe just maybe I accomplished something bigger than myself. Maybe the sacrifice was worth it. And having spoken to several in the last week personally of individuals that have deployed at least once or multiple times in some cases to Afghanistan in the past, and in listening to them, they're really hurting right now. Mm -hmm. Uh, And it doesn't matter what their party is or what their particular desire was going into the Army or or Marines or Air Force or or, or Navy or whatever, and, and going over there, but they are really, they were struggling before, and this is really ripping off old wounds that a lot of them. Uh, still have not found healing for. And and I think that's, along with the Afghan civilians and families whose lives are just uprooted and ruined right now, uh, I I really don't want to forget that there's a lot of people out there wondering, what did I do with my life? Was this worth it? Mm -hmm. Uh, Was this just a waste? And, and, And having on their conscience a lot of things that none of us have ever been faced with having to do are having to choose to do or voluntarily seeing or you know being forced to see or, or whatnot and having to grapple with that and and justify and and find reasons to to move on from that and now feeling like they're losing any hope any shred of hope that they had or any coping mechanisms or, or facts that they had and I just want to throw out there if you're first of all if you're if we're blessed enough to have somebody from the armed forces 
who know somebody or a family of an armed forces member or somebody who directly was deployed to Afghanistan in any way, shape, form, a contractor capacity, whatnot. And you are tempted right now to ask yourself, looking at these images, you go, what did I accomplish? What was the point? Um, why did I do all of these things? Some of these things that I can't sleep at night that I did, but I told myself it was for a greater good. And now I see the Taliban right back and mm-hmm. these people's lives ruined, or maybe you've even seen an image and you saw somebody you knew in one of these images. I don't, you know, the, the possibilities out there. And you go, oh my goodness, that was a translator I worked with, or that was somebody I worked with, and now they're dead, or they're just being left for dead, or, or, or mm. whatnot. And you're feeling hopeless in that moment. First thing I want you to know is that you have not failed anything. And, and, and pe- people keep your politics somewhere else in the comment section. I mean, you can debate the politics as to whether you think the politicians did whatever. Uh, mm-hmm. This is the ones that own this decision. But I want to know for the individual soldier, you have, you have not failed anybody. You did the work you were called to do. You sacrificed more than any of us talking heads and whatever have ever done. And you have, for the most part, come back. And I say this as an American, but you have come back to a country who made a promise to you to take care of you. And we've done a lot better at taking care of you on the battlefield. And in some ways, we've taken a lot better care of at least praising you publicly. But we've still dropped the ball and not taking care of you when you got here uh, appropriately. And I know with all of that, you can feel hopeless and go, well, then I'm just a burden and I've accomplished nothing and I'm a horrible individual. And, and what's the point? Please, if you're feeling that way, know you are worth something. You're worth everything. You are not a monster. People that might say that, I mean, thankfully, this isn't right after the Vietnam War when I, I, I knew a veteran who literally was coming home from the Vietnam War in his uniform because you had to wear it flying home. And he said a 78-year-old lady came up and hit him in the back of the head with her purse, mm. just whacked him in the back of the, the head with the purse and started hitting him the whole way out of the airport, saying he was just a baby killer and everything else. I mean, we've gotten a little better than that, hopefully, most of us. <laughs> Maybe. Probably. But, but uh, yeah, probably or probably not. Never underestimate our capacity to be dumb. But Facts. My, my thing is, you are you are not a waste. You do not misguided people that they don't know what they're talking about. People that have never been have no right to talk really mm-hmm. about you know what you've done. And I say that as one who is not deployed to Afghanistan. So I, that's that's you know neither of us have deployed to Afghanistan or a combat zone for for that matter. But you are not a waste. You are not a monster. You are not, it was not a waste what you did. Please do not think the world is better off without you. That, Af- I mean, I know that thought is why Afghanistan would have been better off without me, my family or my failed marriages or whatever you sacrifice that most of us never will know to go over there to try and give a better future to men and women, not only here, but men and women in, and children in Afghanistan that you didn't know. Mm-hmm. You know, you shed your blood, your tears, whatever, do that. You are not. You don't suck, and please, if you're wor- if you're thinking about the world being better off without you, please don't do that. Get help. Call yep. somebody. Reach out to us. I, I mean, not that we are therapists or anything like that, but we will try and connect you with somebody. Please yeah. reach out to the USO. Reach out to your your VA administration rep. D- do these things. Do not do not keep this to yourself and end up regretting it. There's already a wave of of soldiers that we are losing to suicide uh to reckless behavior just trying to put away the pain and the questions they're asking now and i just don't want to have this episode without saying please get help you are not hated Mm -hmm. you are loved god loves you 
what it's worth, we'll say this in our ministerial capacity. God does not think you're a monster. God loves you. He doesn't think you're a waste. We don't either. There are numerous people who don't, and mm-hmm. we have failed you in the past, and we apologize for that profusely, but help us have an opportunity to change that. Don't fight this alone. Don't don't bring Afghanistan further into your mind and, and think that you have to collapse the same way the regime did. So I'm, I'm yeah, I, trying I, to get worked I, up about this. but I think there's a... There's a thing of Afghanistan has taken enough of your life. Don't let it take more. And this is all easy for me to say as, as someone who was, you know, in third grade on 9-11 and, you know, in the moment didn't fully. Oh, I forgot. Un- I was in high school. So. Yeah. <laughs> uh, didn't fully understand the the weight of what was going on as a kid. But I see this a lot with youth pastors. I see this a lot with pastors. I see this a lot with doctors and nurses. Uh, this idea of when when everything went downhill, you ask yourself what was the point, or or you know why you know did I even do anything? And the bottom line is the lives you may have saved, the the people that you helped, and uh, those things matter, and they mattered then. And just because things went downhill quickly now doesn't mean those things didn't matter just as much then. There's no way you could have known that it would have ended this way. Nor do nor do we know the status of any given person that we may have saved or or not right like i think you could get lost in a lot of hypotheticals and a lot of a lot of what ifs and doing so doesn't actually help you it doesn't help me i know that much and once again i know that i'm speaking from a place of ignorance in in regard to experience but this is a similar thing that i see happen all the time in ministry all the time with teachers and chaplains in prisons I, I just see it over and over and over again. Anyone who does any kind of work that is trying to better the life of someone else, and when that person either makes a decision against what they were taught, or when things don't end well for that person, we, we begin to think, what was the point? Why did I even try? But in the moment, you did the best with what you had. You made a positive difference. And there is, some, there is a place for the anger. Do not get me wrong. I think I think... It's okay to have strong feelings on all of this right now, too. I just don't want to see that consume anyone uh, to the point of of causing them to be a harm to themselves or others, too. And and that's that's why I would I would second everything that Henry said. I would say, you know, if you have no one else to, then absolutely reach out to us. And it's not because we want to be the last resort, but rather we're not the ones who, for sure, we know we can help you, but we can try our best to get you in touch with someone who might be able to or run through some ideas with you, or at the very least, just be a listening ear. Um, and let you share. I know several listeners, especially recently, have reached out to us and and just shared their stories in regard to the topics that we've talked about on the show. And that's been something that's been therapeutic for them on their own. And there's a certain safety in sharing with a stranger. <laughs> and we may not feel like strangers to you if 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 you've been listening for a while, but uh, we're definitely not the normal people you would talk to. And sometimes that can be helpful for people. So just um. Just something to keep in mind as as you are going through that journey as well. I, I you know, both of us are, are definitely praying for you, and I really hope more churches are, are considering what to do for veterans in their congregations and in their cities as well. I think this is one area where the church could do a whole lot of good with the resources that it has, regardless of denomination or regardless of the denomination stance on war and fighting and what and military service in general. So. That's yeah, yeah. Let's just throw that out to Christians too. You do not have to be a supporter of war to support the victims of war. 
Mm-hmm. And I'm just going to be point blank. A soldier is also a victim. There is not a soldier that deploys to a combat zone that isn't a victim in some way, shape, or form. You don't have to be dead to, you know, physically to have lost even sometimes the worst casualty is the one still walking. Mm-hmm. Right? Cause you can't see it and you don't, and you don't realize the nightmares they have to carry with them. Um, yeah. You know, put politics aside, put, you know, love thy neighbor, whatever, just let's admit that these people have lived lives and have gone through things and have called us to a higher standard than Christians who, as our focus is the ultimate, right, combatant, the ultimate one of sacrifice, one who is willing to give his life to save yours. Mm -hmm. And for soldiers who risk that same thing, in many ways, they're living the Christian ethos much better than we are, who sit there and all we want to complain about is masks or no masks in a pew mm-hmm. right i mean and that's the most i'm being persecuted you were never in a fob you've never been shot you never been never held your friend as they were blown up and you're trying to staunch the bleeding it, you know what I, they're victims they have there's a lot we could learn from them if nothing else learn how to love people and they need love right now i mean they needed yeah. it all the time but right now would be a great time if afghanistan's on your mind Guess what? There's a lot of people impacted negatively by Afghanistan all around you. Why don't you start helping? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Right? Don't just be like, oh, that's horrible. I wish, you know, but I can't do anything about Afghanistan because I'm not at Kabul airport and I can't do it. Well, fine. But you can go talk to the Afghan veteran that's now living underneath the bridge because his PTSD, he couldn't hold a job. And, you know, he just, he, he, he just had to get away from the fact that his wife left him or something else. You know, I mean, help people. They're everywhere. They're probably they're probably under your nose and you don't even realize it. I said yep. an entire generation's been in that. They're in your churches, possibly. I would yep. hope. There right? is I mean, they're there. There is a mom in Oklahoma at 60 years old. Now, granted, four years ago, graduated with a master's in international relations in US space policy. So or five years ago. But point, you know, detail notwithstanding. There's a mom in Oklahoma who picked up her phone and looked at some maps, and I know I'm greatly oversimplifying what she did. But she she understood that she's not in Kabul, that she's not in Afghanistan, and she played an instrumental role in ensuring that that the members of that women's robotics team got out safely. And just because you are not there doesn't mean you can't do something here. Even if all you can do is advocate for better treatment of veterans, even if all you can do is listen to a veteran that you know and, and give them support or be a little extra patient with them. And just sit with them. Whatever, whatever it needs to be, there's something that each and every one of us can do. And right now, one of the things that Henry and I are doing, and it may seem, I, I know that this can be seen as empty criticism that we can armchair analyst, you know, be become armchair analysts for this, but we use our platform to talk about this stuff and hopefully share a word of encouragement to people as well, which we have just tried to do. And that matters. That matters, and I know it matters because of the people who've reached out to me in the past listening to episodes of this show being positively impacted by it, because the way you use your influence matters. And you can go check out, I think it's episode 150 that we did, where we talked about how to, how to influence people effectively or how to use your influence um, you know, for good and what that actually looks like. So that's definitely something worth, uh, worth going to, to listen to. If you, if you don't check out episode 150 and I'll leave a direct link to it in the show notes. I think right about then is when we started re- releasing podcast episodes on video as well. So, which was really cool. Just saying, um, I'm, I'm just really, really 
I really like that that was the episode that we we started to shift or started to go that way on. So, um, you know, shifting gears. What I mean, where where now do we you, talked about being armchair guys? Yeah, where I mean, where do we go from here? I think I think this is especially as Christians, it's something that is it's something that bothers us. And I know we just talked about what, what we can do for veterans or for people around us and, and getting involved there. But I mean, just even as Americans or otherwise, like where, how do you feel about this? How do you think this, does this change anything for you moving forward as far as how you view either foreign policy or how you view international relations, whatever, you know, or military occupation or campaigns in general? Like, does this, does this change anything for you? I mean, it doesn't necessarily change anything. Unfortunately, it's just, at least for me, it's a big object lesson on things that I think many, not just myself, have been saying for a long time. And it's not like, ha, we told you so. I I think it's just reflective of human nature. There's something to remember. We are, first of all, not the first country to have gone into Afghanistan militarily for some reason. Mm -hmm. And I know there's lots of people in articles, I'm sure, talking about it. It was called the graveyard of empires. And then people start debating if America's an empire. And no, we weren't. Why did we go in there? Was not to. That's not the point. Uh, The point is, we're not the first to have gone in there. And I think the first thing that kind of surprises me, but doesn't, uh, because we do this as humans, we don't learn from others. We we don't, we always, we almost view ourselves always as so exceptional that we don't have to take note of other things Mm -hmm. or other people's experiences. Right. So we weren't the Soviet Union in 1980 when they invaded Afghanistan. Right. And we know how to handle it because we were the ones giving weapons to the Mujahideen to fight them off and, and, and whatever, the CIA and the Cold War. And so, you know, and we're doing this for a different reason. So we'll be fine. I don't think we learned any lessons that they didn't learn. Mm-hmm. Right. I, and, and we're talking about a people that, again, I said war is bad, but I mean, the Soviets fought Afghanistan completely different than the American army does. And I'm not saying that's a bad thing. I'm very thankful that the U.S., I said this before, that the U.S. military tries to minimize casualties. You know, we have a different way of fighting, uh, you know, and I think that's still in some way something to be proud of. But at the same time, I mean, when someone shot at them, they would just basically obliterate the house. I mean, they weren't worried about precision guided, you know, the tank just blew it up. Mm -hmm. So they tried that for years and out they, you know, out they go. Yeah. Right. I mean, so the first thing is both personally and from a foreign policy standpoint, military standpoint, you've got to make wise decisions. You need to study other people's experiences. And I'm not saying, again, I don't know everybody. I'm sure there's people on the general staff and, and others in the military that do study these things. I know there are. I mean, they have this the Army Staff College and, and, and things like this. There are people that study these things. But then the other question comes to, again, just because someone studies it, is anyone listening to what they have to say? Yep. And we see this in churches. We see this in organizations. You, you know, you put wise and competent people, or supposedly that's why you put them there, on people around you. But then we only listen to those voices that support what we want to hear. We only empower those that stroke our ego or, or tell us, yeah, this is great, or, or fit with the plan you've already decided. We like yes people. This is everybody. Christians too. Yep. We like yes people. And yes, people will only get you so far. What yes people will do most of the time is create a delusion. Mm-hmm. And delusions eventually collapse on you. And I and I believe, you know, I believe there was a lot of deluding to ourselves. In fact, I know reports are even starting to come back out from the auditors, you know, the auditor gen- inspector general reports on our time in Afghanistan. 
And they were already warning that the military was not really keeping account of the corruption in, in the forces or ghost soldiers, which is where yeah. you have, you know, for, for example, a number I've, I've heard repeatedly in the last week or so, uh, President Biden, and he's always like, well, you know, there was only 75,000 Taliban and there was 300,000 Afghan soldiers and why couldn't they do anything? And, and, and there's reports that people say, do we know for sure there was 300,000 in the Afghan army? That's what mm. was on paper. But there's been reports for 20 years of people that, and what a ghost soldier is basically, is it means someone on the payroll that's probably no longer actually there was killed and not reported so, or checked, you know, on something else. Yeah. Whatever, they're sick, something. Yeah. Anyway, and these soldiers or these officers keep them listed, take their pay, and the pay was distributed through the officers and they just pocket the money. So they come up with a bunch of fake people on payroll so that they can take their cash. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I, I, I don't feel like, I, I feel like we deluded ourselves. The Bible speaks to this too, right? Uh, we can self-deceive really easily. And this is not a knock against the military. There's anything but militaries are made up of people, whether it's the United States or, or Bumville country nowhere, you know, dumb Villistan or something. And that's not trying to be insensitive to any countries that end in Stan. I'm just making up something. My point is, we can deceive ourselves. And I, I really think what this should show us, the speed at which this collapsed, the, the, the speed in which a lot of things just kind of unraveled, I, I don't think, I think we deluded ourselves. I think there was, like so many things in life, there was warning signs for the last 15 years that things were not really going probably as we intended. And did we act on that? Honestly, you and I don't know right now. I, I have no doubt that in the next five years, so much material is going to come out. Stuff's going to start getting revealed. We'll be able to find out who was making decisions and who wasn't. Who was listening to information? What information do they have? And don't. We don't right now, but I can tell you, even not knowing that, there's going to be a large amount of stuff. I just guarantee it because we're human. Yep. It's going to come out that people, we, we deceived ourselves about certain things. That had we been willing to humble ourselves, show some humility, to admit our mistakes, to be adaptive and, and change, certain things might have turned out differently. But you don't have to be the military to make that problem. Humans do it. Christians do it all the time. And as Christians, the Bible warns us, don't be self-deceived. This is where the Spirit comes in. This is where community comes in. This is where the body of believers is supposed to come in. We're not islands unto ourselves. We, we, have, to, we have to work at these things. That, that'd be the first point, but now I'm talking a lot. So You're fine. That's what, I mean, it's a podcast. If you're not talking a lot, there's a different problem. The, I would agree. I think there is a, I think there's also a need for, I think there's also a need for us to do an intentional work of understanding the history of, of this stuff. I think there's an entire element mm -hmm. of, for example, Afghanistan, we're understanding why the Soviets were there, why we first went in to, um, why we first went in and why the Soviets ended up backing out of there as well. Um, I think there's a, I think there's need, there's a need for us, even when we talked about pride month to understand you and I both learned about the history mm -hmm. of pride month when we prepared for that episode, there, there was, there's so much to the history and understanding why we were there and why we, why certain things have happened the way they did. And that though that information is important to know, I'm not going to say because those who don't learn from history are doomed to repeat it necessarily. I, I, in some ways, I think we're always doomed to repeat something. Humans are humans. But I think there's a, 
there's a need for us to understand because that knowledge impacts the way we treat each other and it impacts the way that we talk about these issues. That's why I think it's important to know. Even when, even when looking at the vaccine, if you didn't understand that mRNA vaccine technology has been in the works for years, and if you don't understand... Almost 20 years. Yeah. <laughs> and I was going to say decades, and I second-guessed myself for, for a second, but the, the, if you don't understand that, if you don't understand that the role that funding plays in, in, in the development of vaccines, then of course it makes sense that you would think, hey, this was, you know, this vaccine showed up in less than a year and I'm really wary of it. And the technology that's used, we don't know anything about it. And, you know, all this is brand new when in reality, it's not new. This is the result of years of work. And if anything, how quickly we got that out shows how little we've been funding other sort other important research uh, endeavors and research campaigns for for healthcare, right? If you don't understand the history of something and you don't understand the the context around it, then it becomes a lot harder for you to make intelligent or informed decisions because you're literally lacking the information. When I talk with families, yeah, you have to yeah, go invest. Ahead. Yes. Oh uh, no, I was just going to say you you have to invest. This is the same with people again, not just the military situation. When you assume things, these decisions can have unintended, negative, explosive, disastrous consequences. I don't necessarily know somebody's story if I have not invested in their life and, and figured things out. You know, we were talking about something off, off mic that will stay off mic, but a situation that we both are now aware of and, and things where we didn't know the full story and we were acting on one set of assumptions and then got more info and then realized, well, if we'd acted on that, that'd be pretty dumb. Right, you, you need to take time. Yep. And again, part of that, right after 9-11, passions were high. We were scared. We knew just enough to know that Osama bin Laden was there and that you know the Taliban had been supporting Al-Qaeda and, and things like that. And then we just, I feel like we just rushed in and didn't bother to do enough homework ahead. You know, it's worse doing your homework after you're already in the race than before. And for example, we assumed for the most part, it appears to me, that Afghanistan was a country with a coherent national identity when anyone who's been there will tell you that's not it at all. Afghan I mean, a lot of people don't realize half these countries are manufactured at the beginning of the 20th century after the First World War. Some lines are drawn on maps and riverbeds and, and, mm. and people don't look at the ethnic makeup and the religious makeups. And, and I mean, if you ever look at the Middle East and wonder why there's straight lines going across a desert and go, how in the world did that work? A guy named Sykes-Picot, well, two people, Sykes-Picot Agreement, between the British and the French, dividing up the Ottoman Empire, they just drew lines like you can have this part and mm -hmm. we'll take this part. I mean, they didn't even look at anything on the ground, right? But I mean, Afghanistan is is a loose federation of ethnic enclaves, right? There's not necessarily Afghans as a ethnic group and in the way that they would view it, right? There's Pashtuns, there's Uzbeks, Tajiks, Hazaras, right? And and there's even some people I've been reading articles just in the last week, that say that the U.S., in, a, in its desire to have a quick result that's flashy and looks good politically and whatever, and again, without proper understanding, mm -hmm. when we initially went in, we didn't just go in to topple the Taliban. We decided, well, let's ally with somebody on the ground so that we have mm -hmm. someone to work with. And, and we, we chose the Northern Alliance, which was a, a, a particular group of ethnic warlords that was not necessarily trusted by a majority of the other ethnic groups, 
and was already kind of known for corruption. And we kind of used them on the ground and then gave yep. our military support to them and just rushed in. And then wonder why now the whole government's filled with corruption and people don't really trust it. And these other ethnic groups are still willing to, you know, their local tribal leaders and all that are still willing to work with the Taliban and everything. Well, because they hate these people, you know, but we're like, hey, let's just go in and they look like they've got guns. Let's work with them. Well, have you researched at all who they are? Mm. I, I mean, again, information is key. Take your time to know what you're doing. Yeah. And and I think we made the same mistake as as the Russians and the British before them and 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 all these empires quote unquote that keep failing in Afghanistan. We didn't get to know the people until it's too late. We didn't research the stuff we need till it's too late. It's like now that we're out knowing what we know now, it's really easy to go back and say, well, if we went in now, we'd do it different. Yeah, but you just had 20 years of trying to learn on yep. the fly. And the problem with learning on the fly is you don't you don't have time to do that. You're too busy re- reacting. It's reactive leadership. It's reactive moving. We see this a lot in church leadership. We see this a lot in in workplace. When you're too busy reacting, you can't lead. Mm. You can't make wise decisions. Your energy's sucked up into, uh-oh, car bomb over here. How do we fix this, right? Well, you don't have time to figure all this out once you're in the thick of the battle. Like they say in the military, the best laid plans mean nothing the moment the first bullet flies. Yeah. Right. You can have a great battle plan and strategy until you, you know, no, no SO, you know, P, special operational procedure, no SOP survives contact with the enemy. Mm. The military knows that. They say it to each other all the time. No SOP survives first contact with the enemy. It's, it's out. So you need to do your homework first. Yes. Well, and, and I think one, one change coming out of this that I want to make is, I really hate that most commentary is reactive. And I understand that at some point when you're talking about something, eventually you you don't want to talk about it anymore, or there's nothing left to say about it too. I think sometimes even we've run into that on this show talking about in 2020, there was, there was, there was a bit of frustration that Tony and I experienced on this show because it was one police brutality instance after another. And we were like, I don't, I don't, know what else I can say that I haven't said in the last hour or or like that I haven't said over the last four hours of us, you know, four episodes worth of of discussion on this. It's just angering again and again and again. So I get that eventually you feel like what else is there to say about a topic? And so when, when there's a campaign that's lasted 20 years, you know, during that 20 years, eventually talk just kind of fades away about it. But I think one change that I want to make moving forward, even with this show is finding more ongoing issues that don't have any sort of resolution yet or don't have any sort of like major trigger point for you know something having happened and and that being the spark that that creates discussion and talking about those things and learning more about them and understanding it i you know my regret here is that we didn't i wish i had done an episode on afghanistan you know a year ago or two years ago or even six months ago, you know what I mean? Or when Trump struck a deal and there was an update in, in, cause this is, this is sure, this is an update, but this is, <laughs> uh, th- this is a, when it's too late to impact. Correct. Anything. This is a different magnitude of update. And I think there's a need to be informed. And I f- think one weakness that I've had on absurdity is, is that it's been in some ways reactive. And to some degree, there's only so much of, I mean, that's just 
A, that's how you play the social media game and get visibility on episodes and grow something, grow a social media platform in general. But B, there's a certain amount of that of that, that that's just inevitable. So I do want to do a bit more of that. And if there are topics like, I'm not going to say like Afghanistan, but if there are other topics of things that you that you think or can see ongoing in a similar manner that maybe not as many people are talking about all the time, I would love to to spend some time diving into those topics. So leave a comment or reach out to us via email or on social media. And you can find all links in, in the episode description. That would be really helpful because uh, I want to jump into more topics like that and and get the information before these these huge title shifts happen. Yeah. Any Henry also don't go ahead. Yeah, sorry. I, I was just going to say also when it comes to being informed, don't make cheap comparisons as a coping mechanism for saying, see, we addressed it and we learned. Uh, Another uh, yeah. thing I've heard a lot of uh, in the last week is this is exactly like the fall Saigon. of Saigon. My Facebook page was yes. blown up with pictures, side-by-side -side pictures of a Chinook helicopter leaving the embassy in Kabul. And then that infamous photo of the helicopter on the rooftop, Yep, uh, you know, there in Saigon, lifting the last of the Americans off of the compound there and whatnot. And everyone's like, it's just like Vietnam. It's just like, what? okay, well, first of all, you know, I, I, I share the name of an uncle that was killed in Vietnam in, in that conflict. My family is, I'm old enough to have family that still deals with that and is challenged by that and, and trying to learn these lessons. And, and I get why people do that because they view it as like, well, just like in Vietnam in 75, when we were pulling out of Saigon, it's a disaster and it was handled poorly and it was blah, 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 blah. And, and it, it, it's almost cheap. It's a cheap shot. Yes. It's very quick to be like, see, now we know it's just as useless as it's Vietnam and blah, 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 blah. And, and then we think we've learned the lessons. Say, can we blame the other people? They didn't learn the lessons of Vietnam. And I, okay, I'm not doubting that there's similarities. Okay, uh, but I think the similarities are not the things I hear people talking about because they're not very well informed, mm. right? So they say the similarities, it's a disastrous exit that's embarrassing for America. To which I would say, if you start looking at that, while both are embarrassing for different reasons, I would argue historically, but that's a discussion for another time. They're not similar in the way people think. If that's the similarity, they're completely wrong. For one, in the last day, uh, you know, when Saigon fell, when that famous phrase went across the radio, most people don't realize it's 105 degrees in Saigon and the temperature is rising, right? You know, and then Bing Crosby's singing White Christmas, or he was supposed to, and then it didn't broadcast. But that was the evacuation code over the radio that people were supposed to know. When all of this you know, happened. We still managed between ships on the in sea and helicopters and plane flights and and our planes. We still got like seven thousand people out the day that that shot took place with the helicopter mm. coming off the the top of the embassy. We got like less than a couple hundred out the same day that we're talking about in Afghanistan. Um, and you could argue, well, the Seventh Fleet isn't in the the bay or whatever. Of course, there's no bay in Afghanistan. But my point being. You know, you can argue, but th this goes to another point. Are we learning the wrong lesson? Somebody screwed something up really bad because even with Saigon falling, we did a better job of evacuating people than we're doing out of Kabul, and we supposedly knew this was coming. Yep. So again, you're wrong. You you learned the wrong lessons. I will say uh, Saigon was also like a two-year-long thing that happened versus this was two weeks. Well, and well, that's the other thing I was going to say. Okay, cool. Saigon Just making took sure a couple months to fight in. Yeah. No, no, it's good. Good point though, because we don't people don't look that up to no they don't know they just they just see the picture or the video saigon to fall right and 
and the Taliban, well, here's the thing. And the North Vietnamese had to fight into Saigon. Mm. The Taliban is all I can tell. They walked into Kabul. It's kind of, you know, it's, it's completely different there. But what is a lesson I think both share in common when you really study it? Well, both events was complete self-deception on behalf of the American public and mm. the military. Yes. Both, both, in both cases, we thought there was some sort of domestic army that would be able to handle things and fight back or have a will to fight or do this, that, and the other. And that if we just kept supplying it with weapons and resources and training, both armies, when you look back in time, had ghost soldiers, mm-hmm. the ones that don't exist in corruption and people pocketing it. And, and the wrong leaders put in, and, well, it's not even just leaders, because I've heard that too, the last week that, you know, President Biden and his administration are all like, well, we, we didn't have good generals over there. They didn't have good leaders that knew how to fight and blah, 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 blah. It's, it's not even just necessarily a climate of who's the general of so-and-so or is this president really flying away, as the Russians say, with bags full of money? Mm. Uh, you know, I don't, uh, uh, you know, we always pick, it, it's just like in the United States, just like elections. We think the president by himself changes everything. We're like, yep. it's Trump or Biden and whoever's in there, that solves everything. Folks, there is a lot more than just the, the visible people that make decisions and a culture of corruption or honesty or dishonesty yes. or whatever. And again, when you're not informed, you learn all the wrong lessons. I think there's lessons to be learned that obviously weren't learned in Vietnam. And they were repeating them again in Afghanistan that's even longer than Vietnam. But they're not the lessons you think. You owe it to yourself to become educated than more than just, look, Facebook showed me two images that look similar. Absolutely. You know, it's it's not it's not the same. Yeah. And what kills me is too all of these other articles now. I just I was looking up if anyone's wondering and watching this episode wondering why my eyes are constantly on another screen or where I'm looking. I we're both doing that looking at stuff. Yeah, <laughs> the the I found this time article of how you can help people in Afghanistan and even they just mention literally as like an aside it's in it's in dashes. Distressing footage at the Kabul, Air, uh, Kabul airport, eerily similar to scenes from the U.S. evacuation of Saigon. And this is where SEO is evil, because you know what the, you know why. Yeah, clickbait. It's all clickbait, and it's all meant to have the article show up because people are now searching that once the images started going viral of the changes. And that's what's so frustrating. So, I, yeah, I would say take the time to research, take the time to understand uh, what the differences are and what's going on. And... With that, everyone, thank you so much for watching. Thank you so much for being a part of this journey with us. And thank you for being patient with me as I kind of drop the ball on on some some recording uh, or some posting of episodes lately. But I we really appreciate you being here and, and being a part of this journey with us. And with that, all links are in the show notes for you to follow up on and any helpful resources that we've been able to find and compile. Thank you so much for listening. We'll see you next week.